This episode of The Razor Show is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Patriots tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can answer this with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. What you do is you just pick your deal, you see the view from your seats, and you buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play. Work that clock to your advantage and score last minute tickets. Welcome to the Razor Show with the Athletics Nick Underhill and Jeff Howe, plus three-time Super Bowl champion Matt Chatham. All righty, let's get into this thing. It's Matt Chatham. This is the Razor Show. We get to do a quick instant re- instant analysis of this uh, Patriots Redskins game. It was quite the roller coaster. I uh, I always wonder if it's good for me or bad for me to do <laughs> to do a lot of my in-game sort of uh, Twitter analysis because I think I I wonder if I get a false sense of the entirety of Patriots Nation, the entirety of sort of the fan base and what everyone's thinking because there's certainly the crazy stuff on that thing. Uh, yeah, I made light of the fact that uh, it's really, really, really bad ball. For me as an analyst, if I were just a fan, uh, you know, especially as a player, to do play-to-play, down-to-down, state of the team, state of the offense, state of Brady, state of Sony Michelle, state of the tight end position, state of the blah, 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 that kind of analysis is... In game, don't do it. Just don't do it. Uh, it's be, because the temptation to do so is going to give you a false sense. It, it changes in an instant. You can't be surprised when it changes. That's just how it works. So, yeah, there were drives where, wow, the offense stunk on a drive. There were other drives where they were spectacular. Uh, there were drives where, ooh, man, the offensive line's really struggling. There are other drives, a couple of them here now, especially in the second half, and even back on the first score in the first half where the offensive line was spectacular. They were really good. Terrific. Great time. Uh, so I think that's really kind of how NFL football goes. And maybe we're just in a weird place as, as a Patriots uh, fan base or whatever, or sort of whole nation of people that have been following this team for all these years and years that were watching it incorrectly or something, you know, watching it based on some sort of giant historical context of what's happening in the middle of a, a game the first week of October is somehow now indicative of what I know will happen in February or something like that. It's just a really, really poor p- way to watch the game. And I'm not going to say I'm completely absolved from this occasionally, you know, especially if I see back-to-back drives, I'll have a thought. Uh, but I guess I'll put that same string around my own finger, ask you as listeners to do the same thing. And uh, I also kind of understand that if you're listening to this show, you're probably not one of those people, at least not one of the, the bridge jumpers so much. But that's kind of how NFL football goes. If you're a, if you're interested in, in something that... Uh, well, any championship team, any of the six that are out there, none of them were the same <laughs> for drive to drive, quarter to quarter, game to game, week to week, as they were when they inevitably stood on that podium. Uh, and that's kind of how this team is. They're five and zero. They won big today. They won by twenty six points. So. Not a competitive game. Uh, there was 
you know, about a half of quasi-competitive football, but I think the Patriots really uh, really controlled things in the first half. It was probably more matters of disappointment uh, after getting the quick change, uh, a couple quick changes, uh, two-minute opportunity they did nothing with, and then a quick change there uh, with the punch-out turnover where they did not get any points and had to settle for a field goal and take it in. Uh, with just that modest lead. So, you know, yeah, I guess that's that's technically disappointing. But again, you know, you don't get to 30 points a game by scoring, you know, seven each quarter and somehow finding another two. Uh, it's usually in bunches. That's kind of the NFL. You, you, you're looking for, well, obviously, with a team like the Patriots, who you expect to be kind of, when they're clicking, up around 30 each week. You kind of get there by winning on four and a half drives. That's really what it is. You win on four and a half drives. Yeah, you don't win on all the drives. And I think that's kind of the big reminder as a way to consume this stuff. Um, they have to win that many times. They will not be good every drive. There's going to be disappointing ones. There's going to be disappointing series. There's going to be many different disappointing plays. You're just attempting to have more, uh, more positives than negatives, especially when you're on the road. So uh, I'll uh, kind of go through what I thought were sort of the highlights. Uh, we'll, we'll dive into the negative stuff from the first half that I think painted things relative to the to the offense, but I don't want to let the offense conversation that invariably turned, as you often expect it to do, and was quite good in the second half, I don't want that to dominate the show, uh, because the defense did it again. They had one let up that, trust me, they're kicking themselves in that meeting room, because there's three or four guys uh, that are involved in that play going negative. The big reverse, uh, I don't even know if you would call it a reverse, but the misdirection play that went for... Far too many. Puts the only score on the board. It's kind of a trick, gimmicky play uh, that's that's coupled with uh, some really, really uncharacteristic poor tackling at the end of it. In the absence of that, there is nothing. I mean, this is... This is like Dolphins game nothing. Uh, and because, unfortunately, you get that that little blemish, um, you know, it, it, it spikes it just a little bit and changes the feel. But then, you know, it was real quick. After that drive happened, you got to credit this defense as uh, not just deep well, deep reservoir of ways that they can beat you, but there's a toughness angle there. You could tell they must have come back pissed off because they came back sharper, became even more disruptive after the screw-up on the road. And that's tough to do because those places can turn on you in a hurry, even ones there where it looked like there were a decent amount of Patriots fans there down in D.C. But I'm uh, doing the thing here at studio with Nesson to, in, uh, this evening. Uh, so I watched the game actually at home after we did Patriots pregame chat. I ran back home quick after catching my son's, eh, about a half of my son's youth football game. They got annihilated. Now that's a different story. If we want to do KP 11 year or sixth grade youth football talk. Now we can, we want to, we want to panic. We want to talk about problems. We'll talk about the KP Warriors. My, my kids are they struggled. So <laughs> that's a real struggle. The Patriots only winning by 26 is not a real struggle. So let's uh, let's get into this thing. Uh, I think there are a number of different angles that can be enlightening. I, after the game ended, I was able to, to fly through uh, about a dozen plays that had sort of earmarked that I wanted to check before I went back on the air. Um, so Patriots offense early, uh, they were a little bit rough. There were positive plays. Kind of, we kind of did this last week against Buffalo. The first half felt a lot like the Buffalo game. Uh, some positive plays. A positive drive, uh, but then a lot of missed opportunities. Uh, one that really stuck out was a post pattern to Josh Gordon. Brady's back. The protection's good. He throws a nice smooth ball, gets to step into it, but he airmails it a little bit. Misses Josh by just a few yards, but it was really well executed. If we're thinking about you know how things happened in Buffalo a week ago, some of the things you might want to highlight now, something you hit on that might be a game-breaker – 
they had it set up. They more or less executed it, and Tom just missed it. So, um, yeah, I think by and large, we'll, I'll sort of go sideways on this. I think by and large, you're going to be, especially if you're Tom, you know, you're the greatest ever for a reason. It's because your standard's so high and because he's so freaking competitive. And just the fact that, you know, this game does come out with technically 340-yard passing, technically three touchdowns, Yes, he got intercepted, but he got four, he said he got sacked four times. This is a game where Brady could have thrown for 450 easily. You know, easily could have had a couple more touchdowns here. So it's a game where statistically you feel good, I guess. But Tom just feels like the kind of dude that will call that a C minus performance, even though the numbers say three forty eight, blah blah blah, blah. You know, touchdowns, blah blah blah, whatever. You know, you're just too good if you're Tom to think that was good enough. The ratings one oh six. I don't even know what the hell that means. I never know. It doesn't matter. It's just box score humping. So. I think this is a game where because he is who he is and because Josh did a great job in game uh, adjusting, because they hit on some new concepts in the second half, found some running game space, then worked some stuff off play action, uh, because they fixed themselves, they fixed the scoreboard. They fixed the box score. Uh, but I think by and large, Tom is uh, probably not going to be happy with this performance. But the one thing I would caution you to do is, well, don't take those rough plays and transpose them into some sort of conversation about Cliff stuff because there was some other great stuff later and he was back to being himself. So I think that's the big, big takeaway that it's up, it's down. Uh, it's a little rough uh, early season offense for the Patriots, but so roughs that they only scored 33 on the road. <laughs> oh, it's just too ridiculous to even think, uh, have a conversation as if that were a real life problem. It is not, but uh, let's get into this a little bit. Other than the Gordon post miss, uh, that was one that really stuck out to me earlier. I would say as an overall theme for Tom, first half versus second half, sort of a dramatic difference for me. And it's really not the difference in the quality of the protection relative to the amount of time they gave him or whether or not there was sort of a gash in the earth that he could move up and around inside these pockets. Because I think there were those issues in both. I just thought he did a much better job in the second half of finding those gaps, sliding within them, resetting in the event that there was pressure from a part of the pocket, not stepping towards it, not going into it, not crumpling towards it, but sliding and moving away from the small amount of pressure that would be there. I thought uh, there was a couple different instances in, in the first half specifically where his pocket movement choice didn't work. You know, he had maybe a little heavier pressure from his right with two guys coming, much more mild action going left of him with an additional blocker that way, but then escapes right or or retreats just slightly astride right to the area where there was more stuff going on. Again, this is this is just corny me, former player, watching re replays, and I've never had to stand in that pocket. I don't know how difficult it is. I just know that I've seen him do that much better many, many, many times over. So and that's not a physical issue. Uh, he just sometimes occasionally gets skittish, and he makes mistakes like like any player would. I think there were several moments, several, I don't know if several, several is accurate, accurate, a few. I'd say three or more, uh, where his pocket movement, which he's – Typically, the GOAT in just that particular aspect wasn't great on this day. Now, it doesn't mean that the, the offensive line is completely absolved. There were certainly several plays where pressures were given up that shouldn't have been. Uh, individual letdowns, maybe not collective work being on point as much as they should be. Um, on one instance, they gave up a sack on a three-man rush. You hate to see that. Center's uncovered, knocks off one guy, but then the, the, the wrapping guy comes around. So you're ended up using like three guys to block one, and the other guy gets free. So that, that's no good. You know, That's clearly an offensive line thing. But I think there's enough of them where the guy that's usually the best at this stuff, that's, you know, my pal, my former teammate, the best ever, he, I think he deserves a little criticism and, and not quite being at his high level. But here's the other 
side of the coin, the point, the side that matters most, he will be at some point this year. And I, I think this is, I think Tom has always been a comfort player. He's always been a guy who is so much better once he's comfortable with the situation. And he gets that through reps, through works, through diligence in his diet, in his routine, in his preparation, blah, blah, blah. And that's kind of been taken with him, from him a little bit now with all the different things around him. So you can see him in moments where he would much, you know, be much more comfortable sliding and resetting and looking for this particular person he's used to finding. Well, the movement in front of him is a little different. It's a little different with a different center, uh, a different tackle. Uh, the back's rotation has been a little bit different. Sony's in there now more today uh, as a protector and someone who was extended at times as a receiver. Um, it's just sort of a, a spinning personnel thing going on around him and then an unfamiliar left tackle. So I, I just saw enough evidence there where it's like, eh, I see him doing stuff he doesn't normally do. But then as he gets reps in game in this situation, you can tell he becomes more comfortable. You can tell even with Jakob Johnson where Jakob was a, an available outlet on a couple occasions today and Tom didn't look to him and uh, would have saved him a sack on a couple different spots. Um, and that's one thing I think we always say, and I'm probably guilty of this as anyone. Uh, I use this phrase. You hear them use this phrase. I just throw to who's open. You know, we don't have a specific target. We don't have a specific person we want. We don't, you know, we're not trying to send X amount of plays to say Josh Gordon or X amount of plays to, 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 to Julian Edelman. We just drop back and the guy that's open gets it. I mean, that's a quasi truth. It, it, it's true. It's more true for Tom than it is for any other quarterback in the league, but it is not pure and pristine. It's not in a vacuum kind of stuff. And here's why, because there are times, and this happened on multiple occasions in that first half where there actually were open human beings and Tom's eyes were on something else. And I think what happens in those situations is you can tell that a certain coverage shows what you believe is going to be your pre your post-snap vulnerability based upon what you see pre-snap. The rotation happens. Tom's made the choice to wait out a certain concept as it hits relative to that look. And while he's waiting that out, well, pressure does come and there was an outlet at another part of the field. And that outlet was open, but that's not where his eyes were. Were, were his eyes wrong to be where they were initially? Well, it's not that it hadn't come open yet. He was trying to wait it out. So again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm parsing here, but I think the parsing is important. Uh, things came open. He didn't find those things that were open, but it was because they were trying to hit on a different concept that would have married to that, but the pressure was in his face in the place he was looking. So I know that gets a little complicated. It's probably a little easier if I showed that to you on a on a, um, on a video breakdown rather than just a podcast, but I, I want to try to help people to, to use the language, use the lingo, understand exactly what's going on. Uh, there are times where, yes, you quickly look to your outlet and you only threw to the guy that was open. Um, there are times where that open person is swung wide to your left, you're a right-handed guy, your back's to it, you're eyeing either one, two, or three options to the right of you so you don't see the low left thing. You don't see the out on the other side of the field. So there were a couple of those occasions where drive stalled where – you know, I, it wasn't a good. It wasn't a good choice for Tom to wait it out, and the pressure came a little bit late, but at the wrong time and place relative to what he was trying to get accomplished. So, um, I thought there was enough of that to where you know you, you just. And again, the big takeaway with all these little points I'm making is there's so much evidence with his team that they'll figure it out. They will figure it out ultimately, and they even did some of that in game. But you would call it a, a very very good day when you go on the road 
and you win this big and you put your, you know, like C work out there. And it's not like C work that got you a 20 to 13 win or something. C work that still gets you 33 points, which is pretty damn good. So it's uh, something to hang your hat on as you continue to work and improve. That's what the NFL is all about. Um, The first scoring drive, I thought that was really interesting, kind of the way this thing went down, because think of all the different, uh, think of all the different conversations leading into this game that we were having. I mean, we were having them on Nesson. We were writing about them here on The Athletic. Obviously, Jeff's covering different stuff. Nick's covering different stuff. I'm covering different stuff. Uh, we did the late-week show with D'Angelo Hall. We talked about a lot of different stuff. I mean, the absence of tight end production here with this team. And I thought it was really interesting that that, Patriot, that first Patriots drive, the first Patriot, excuse me, scoring drive, the first Patriots scoring drive actually hit on Several, several of the unknowns, or several of the let's not even call it unknowns, call it unexpecteds. The the first Patriots scoring drive uh, had. Uh, let's look down here for the specifics, so I don't screw this up for you guys. Uh, the Ryan is a twenty-nine yard pass. Now Ryan has really started to show. So when I say sort of the stuff that we had talked about during the week, that you know the tight ends lack of production, that's supposed to be a big thing, and the tight ends actually had a decent role today. I mean, it's not the focus of the offense, obviously, but they had a role. They did some things, I think, uh, and they helped on a couple big scoring drives, a couple big plays, just outlet stuff here and there, and they blocked okay as well. There were moments and drives where they didn't. There were other moments where they did. Um, I think it's clear though. There's some separation between the two guys. Izzo is clearly the lead dude. Lacoste is in definitely more of a support role, and maybe that role goes away significantly when the, when Ben returns. All of a sudden, you're sitting there with Ben Watson and Ryan, and you feel okay about it. You feel pretty damn good because it's solid, it's stable, it'll get you some stuff, but it's not the focus of the offense. Um, but the Izzo outlet play, what, what I would say about, about Ryan Izzo is he's a gamer uh, in that he's got some toughness. He's certainly not an over-the-top athlete from the strength standpoint, from speed standpoint, from just pure athleticism standpoint. Uh, but he sticks his nose in there. He's tough. You, you can tell that he's he's trying and usually does what he's asked to in sort of the scheme. Um, I, I think he's going to catch more balls where the scheme surprises, you know, where he's disciplined and showing a block, showing a block, and then leaving, and then he makes the catch if Tom throws it to him. There were a couple of those in this game. But it also shows a little, little daintiness, a little bit of a tiptoeiness, a little ability to uh, adjust on the fly. Uh, he, he adjusted really nice to that 29-yard ball. It was sort of out in space and thrown a little back shoulderish, And you saw him twist the hips, be able to rotate up top a little bit, and make a nice high-pointed play there. So his 29-er was a big deal. Uh, and it was followed by a 22-yarder to Matt Lacoste. I, think, I believe, I don't know, box score in front of me, just play counts. But I believe that was Lacoste's only ball. But Izzo had gotten involved in some other. Uh, but it's really interesting there, though, on the way they got this thing going was by two big tight end passes and then a short pass, a little slant, little in-cut kind of thing, short in-cut to Sony Michelle, extended as a wide receiver. So here we are, just checking boxes. <laughs> tight ends don't get involved. Oh, shit, they are. Uh, Sony Michelle never catches a football. He's just a predictable runner, and he never breaks tackles. Wait a minute, that didn't happen. Now, now they were willing to actually motion Sony out. So not just to anticipate, no, not just expecting him to get balls out of the backfield or, or screenplays or things like that, but using him a little like we've seen them use Rex and, and James White. 
actually put him in the game, make you adjust as if, oh, shit, oh, wait a minute, he's out of the box. And he got himself some pretty good off coverage, five, seven yards of, of, of sag there by linebackers, and that helped him get those passes. So good on Sony Michelle. Gets a 15-yard play there. And then Sony gets a more mild run, and then they're, uh, you know, uh, running this uh, little me, middle sit, I would call it, kind of thing to Edelman. So they've got a three-by-one. Edelman's in a two-spot. Uh, and what he does is run his route underneath three. Three extends up the field, and Jules kind of runs underneath that. So there's a defensive lineman extended. I thought it was 91, if I recall, uh, attempting to sort of jam, just gives him sort of the token reach out, but doesn't do much to Jules's route. So Jules passes the defense or the, the dropping end or linebacker, what do you want to call him, to his side, and, and then he's passing underneath the linebacker, the middle linebacker, and then sits between the two insides. And he gets the little middle sit pass, touchdown, there you go. What's cool about that is because that outside linebacker is attempting to reroute him, that kind of usually takes the attention away from him by that middle linebacker, and it's that middle linebacker who really should have reacted down to Jules. But he doesn't. He floats on it while the end is kind of putting his hands on him, and, and Julian's able to sit down in the middle of it. And, you know, it, that that's what you want. You want him sort of hiding, full, falling in behind something, and then being forgotten about low in the red area. Catching it, falling down tight into the end zone, really good early score there. So I just kind of like the execution of that whole drive. There was a lot of good stuff going on. You had to feel like, okay, okay, they got something today, and it's a little different than what we've seen. Um, now, you'll recall that later on in the half, they have the interception in the red zone, and I I say in the end zone it isn't. I, I, I characterized it on Twitter, at least, as a, a second interception in the end zone on the day, or a week, I'm sorry, back-to-back games. It doesn't technically qualify that way because it gets marked at the one there. They don't allow his momentum to take him to the end zone for the marking for touchback, so they mark it at the one. But Really sort of the same general principle. You almost never see Brady make those critical mistakes in scoring spots. He made them back-to-back weeks. So that's a big deal. It's something where, you know, like I always mentioned, Coach Belichick is uh, is going to hammer everyone. He's going to get beat up on that in the team meeting room. He's going to get, you know, scoured as, uh, as if he were a first-year player or fifth-year player. It, it won't really matter. So we can't turn it over in the red zone. We can't give it to them in the end zone. God damn it. I mean, that's not my phrase. That's the coaches. <laughs> but they love, they love, I can hear it now uh, that they're going to be salty about that. And they're going to kill them on it and say, we've got to stop giving it to them in the end zone. And they're saying that and you're sitting in your seat going, we won by 26. But you're not right to think that because there will come a time when it's much, much closer and you can't have that happen. So um, I thought the mistake here was they pressured. Obviously, I think it was a sixth that was in the rush. Uh, Tom was right to get away with it. He was actually okay to the side that he went, although, albeit, there was a low crosser to the right side that was wide-ass open. Don't know if that would have gotten the conversion he was looking for, but it makes sense to me that the extra unblocked player is the side that he threw to because that usually means to a quarterback that means if he's coming from that side, then there's thinner coverage area on that side because they've lost a body. So I understand his eyes swinging left, but he went for the fade. He went for the, I, I think it was James White, sort of fade down the sideline. There was actually a low portion of that, Lacoste, I believe, on sort of a, the tight end breaking out uh, from from tighter to the formation. That could have been a ball that he, that he pushed in there, and I think that was way more open and way more of a plausible connection than what he did with James. But 
I do sort of read, and I think Julian was up there as well. There's three spots that side, and you basically looked at the three options he had to, and he's throwing sort of a quick panicky ball because, oh, oh no, here it comes. And I think he picked the wrong of the three. Uh, he just did. So that, again, would be sort of, oh, Brady, you know, he's really off today. What's going to happen uh, with the rest of this offense? The offense is in a bad spot. That's sort of the bad in-moment analysis. It's absolutely true for them, but uh, they can change in an instant, and they did. So he's got to work on that. You know, obviously Brady comes back, he comes to a 20th season. He's had some super high highs. He's got some other nice stats here to go with it. Uh, and uh, But there were rough moments in this game, some of which would be generally uncharacteristic. So, um, But again, the game doesn't end then. It goes on and there's more good stuff after that. Um, Let's see. Uh, the, the one play that would ima- I would imagine raise uh, some blood pressure throughout New England is when Brady slid uh, with those knee braces on. And actually, I, I saw him go- do that. He goes to the slide, and you kind of have to. I'm sure a lot of you out there have played maybe little league baseball or played softball as an adult, or you know, little girls that played softball, uh, whatever it is. But you've done the slide before, right? When you have the underneath leg, the folded leg underneath you, uh, the bent leg. And you slide with a brace on. Uh, it's these these Don Joy, you know, the metal bars on the outside kind of thing. When that's the down part, the down leg has a brace on it. It is so freaking terrifying that that thing might catch. And I, I thought about, right when he went that way, I was like, oh, I bet that's a brace. I bet that's a brace. And then you see him tugging on it. You see the you see the mud being dug out of the side. And it's like, you know, they're not made for sliding. I, I don't know how one does that. So it's it's obviously safest, smartest that Brady slides. He'll do that when the Josh Allen's of the world don't. Uh, but he's got that thing on there that's going to catch on uh, on real grass because it can dig up like that. Now, he can get away with that slide on the, the fake stuff, the stuff at Gillette, because it won't grab. It won't dig into the ground that way. It'll just sort of slide across the surface, and the beads will kick up. But those little uh, those little metal bars can can catch turf and start to dig in. It's like it's a, a tiller or something <laughs> out on the farm. So it, that, yeah, that's it's a little scary because that grabs too much, and then a, a ligament twists or something, and you go, <gasps> you know. You just don't want that to be the way it happens because he's actually making the very smart decision there to go down. And I think that was on a time where Tom had actually scrambled and got himself a first down. I think it's very good that he does that occasionally a couple times a game because they're available to him. And he's still got the the elusiveness to get five. If he needs to get three, if he needs to get five, he can do it. Get it, get down. He did, but that was a, uh, a dangerous situation, thankfully, avoided there with a brace catching, but not catching too much. Um, Patriots were overall offensively. They were ragged in the two minute. They were ragged in that sudden change, as we mentioned before. Uh, the red pro, I would say the red zone approach overall, even with the mending of the second half, the red zone approach overall needs to get a lot better. They got a long ways to go with that. Five weeks in of a, a 16 with this team, sometimes as much as 18, 19, or 20 week season. Uh, five weeks in, that's an area that needs work. It absolutely does. You obviously don't have some big giant tight end that you can uh, just one on one focus on. So the offense has turned, it's shifted, it's pivoted. And they have to figure out what's their best way to accentuate player X, Y, and Z. And, uh, you know, maybe it's finding Josh more ISO situations, Josh Gordon. Maybe it's working more of Edelman in the ISO because we've seen how he was he was putting Josh Norman in the blender from time to time. You know, this was not just Jules, as we mentioned in the earlier touchdown, working across defensive ends and linebackers' face. Julian was working over an extremely highly paid, one of the highly paid cornerbacks in the whole league, pro bowler, all pro kind of guy, and, and Josh Norman. So he's been 
feeding everyone, right? So maybe it's just simply working him across formations, trying to isolate him, knowing he's going to get more attention down there. Maybe moving, maybe even Jules around in the formation a little bit more. Maybe it's back to the whole idea of creating back mismatches by motioning out Sony, motioning out James, motioning them back in, finding new ways to get them involved. And maybe it is occasionally when all the attention turns to all those other plausible things, more plausible things, yeah, slipping one into Izzo as they did later in the game off play action. Slipping one into Lacoste on sit routes. He's big, he's tall, he's like a 6'6 guy. He's got Gronk's body. I mean, just not the the freakish you know, thing that no other tight end has either. Uh, but he's big and a big enough target. If you want to start hitting sit routes with that guy, I think that's where he might. I actually thought he was open on a couple occasions where Tom's just not, you know, he's got five other things going on. It's just not where he's looking. But maybe after a film review, they say, okay, that was there. I didn't see it. I'll, I'll, I'll throw you one or two. Now, remember, Matt did drop a ball earlier in the game. He did drop a pass. And sometimes, you know, that's just life in the big city. You drop one, maybe Brady's not going to look at you anymore. <laughs> you know, maybe he's going to go back to, yeah, there's an available concept relative to the pre-snap uh, formation I read or, or coverage I read. I'm going to that. I'm certainly not going to swing my eyes to you because you're better, You're going to probably have to be a, a, a broken play last result or last resort kind of thing. Uh, and maybe that's where they are. But maybe in film review, you get back and say, oh, you know what? Matt actually got himself open a couple times after that drop. And I panicked and went elsewhere. Maybe I'll look back to him. So we'll see if that that goes somewhere. Because it could. He did make the one the one play. Um, but I think when we look at red zone, how you can figure out your red zone work, if you've got big, long, long tall people who aren't being targeted, maybe that's at least something that gets entertained in the coming weeks. Um, now... I think uh, well, we can go to the second half stuff and talk through those those drives. But you know, I, I don't want to spend an atrocious amount of time in this because obviously it got out of hand really quickly. The second half, they came out flying. Uh, on third and five, they had the little short pass to James White goes for twenty one yards. James out in space had did his work today. It wasn't like a monster one hundred and fifty yards kind of thing for James, but he was efficient on a few runs late where it's like, okay, there's a nice little burst. He's, he's obviously got a lot more wiggle to him than Sony Michelle. So it was a good change of pace, but then he got targeted on a handful of conversions, handful of sort of release plays, handful of, okay, James is involved. Good that he's here still on the team. Also in that first drive of the second half, he got a nice 11 yard run from James or from Sony Michelle, uh, some off tackle stuff, what I love to see. And there were fullback plays with him, but it wasn't necessarily follow the fullback. Some of this is like misdirection where the, the fullback, fullback blocks back, the second tight end blocks back. And what I mean by that is sort of your point of attack say is going to go right, but the, the tight end's going the other direction. And a lot of times the tight end going in the other direction or a fullback is a you, you can call them whatever you like. Uh, but that's meant to distract the linebackers. So you get kind of split flow, they call it. One back going one way, one back going the other. And Sony then making some hay out in space. So he made people miss today. He broke several tackles. Uh, didn't just get the yards over there and all that, that nonsensical stuff. Showed some burst out in the open space. But no, he's not Kamara. He's not he's not a 4-4 guy. Uh, I think uh, Sony Michel is a good hard running back who's going to get the yards. And he'll get extra yards when you block for him. But he's not a take a negative 10-yard play and make it a plus 20. There's only a couple of those in the league. So I think that kind of criticism he gets is just stupid. Uh, when the blocking's good, he's a good back. Why is that a problem? I don't understand. So anyway, moving on, um, the uh, the rest of the game, it was kind of, you know, now the, the defense in the second half is just completely lit up. Uh, but I'll stay on the offensive side here just shortly. 
Um, I like that Edelman kind of got going. This is sort of Jules is having the toe tap time. He's diving and catching balls. He's starting to kind of turn uh, Norman inside out, but then he's also winning over the inside when safety would come and get him. Uh, there was a lot of Julian action here going on. Uh, there's an outside left tackle play by Sonny Michelle. This is sort of one of his delay. I, what Michelle actually does have is he has a pretty good patience and that's an underrated skill on this particular one. This is the 25 yarder at the six ish minutes mark in the third quarter. It goes up off the left side. What I like about Michelle that I don't think an untrained eye necessarily sees, uh, is he, he has different speeds and they're not like dramatically different. Like a James White is like quick jump bunny stuff, bunny hops. And it's like, Oh, that's really quick. And that's exciting. Michelle has kind of this weird, it's almost like Le'Veon Bell. Um, Le'Veon has this like, will you get going kind of feel? And then he explodes. And Sony kind of has this, he really likes to let the blocks process in front of him. He doesn't like to jump out in front of the play. So that kind of has, I can understand how that would look to, again, an untrained eye to like, oh, you know, he's, why doesn't, you know, he's not quick. He's not fast. He'll only get it if it's blocked for it. Well, it's actually a skill to let it get blocked for. It's a skill to sort of slide and put yourself in position and be ready to explode at the time that the block's made. A lot of guys just don't have that skill, and he does. And he does a really nice job of setting up his blocks. The blocks just don't happen to you, for you, in front of you, and then you run through them. It's not It's not a fucking like pre-made obstacle course for you. It's something where the runner and sort of the, the choices he makes and it kind of helps set the blocks up, and he needs to read them. And, and reading them is a skill that most backs don't have at that high of level, but Sony has a really good skill of, of block reading, you know? So there's something to this guy, uh, that doesn't get appreciated, probably never will. That's okay. But I think the people, uh, that don't know should just, you know, let's go along for the ride. Just go along for the ride. Trust the pros, trust the coach Belichick knows what he's doing. Trust that Ivan fears knows what he's doing. Trust that, Hey, this guy's good. There's a reason that the, the world champs use him. It's not because they don't have anything else. It's because they he helps them a lot. He's he's really good once they get him going. And uh, Sony had a nice day today. He really did. And uh, then you're back to Julian Edelman with a short pass over the middle. He's got one to 31 yards here. This is, again, where you're starting to see him work different guys. Love that with Jules. Saw him grimace a couple times with the ribs today, yet he goes there out there and guts it out. Uh, has an over 100-yard day. Huge day for him. This was the kind of day where you're like, oh, you know, he's a pro bowler. And I'm, I'm hoping that he continues to accumulate and will get that recognition finally because Jules plays at, at a Pro Bowl level. He plays as one of the top 10 receivers out there in the NFL. I don't know where the damn numbers are. I don't stare at, at those things, but he's a, he's a guy that gives top corners problems. He's a guy that gives top linebackers, you know, in, in teams that want to play zone and go in and out with, with, with safeties and stuff. They have no chance. But it's days like this where top corners pick him up and you say, oh, he's still beating that guy too. So that's, that's, that's proof, that's evidence in my view that this is a high-end guy, even in his 30s, uh, and hopefully his due continues to come his way as he continues to produce and produce and produce. So as you move on to this final drive, now we've, we, we've hashed away here two touchdown drives since I started into this. Uh, how did that other one get uh, finished off? Oh, yeah, the Brandon Bolden play. Yeah, the third down play. Uh, well, no, I'm sorry, it was, it was second and six, and uh, – I would call it a wheel, almost like a tight wheel. If you're if you're a linebacker and you're sort of defending this, there's a there's there's a couple kind kinds. There's ones where the running back goes, you know, like he runs sideways, like parallel to a yard line for five or six or seven yards, and then as he's running that, 
you glance back in the backfield, and then he turns it upstairs, upfield, wheels it up upfield, and then you just get caught sleeping, looking the other direction. This was more of that. His outstride was like one stride. You know, he's he's up, he's out of the backfield, he's out quickly, but then quickly back up the field. So it's almost like a wiggle <laughs> that, that ends up being a wheel. But it was a nice mismatch that they found. And again, I, I tweeted about this kind of snarkily, but uh, during the game. But I think it is important to understand the difference between those plays, a, a wheel, something that originates in the backfield, originates at least tighter to the formation, gives a little feign to the outside, and then and then wheels itself up or turns itself upfield, so that. That there's a you know sort of a, a shaky kind of element to the thing as opposed to the straight go the fades we've seen it's it would to me it would be josh's one fla- fatal flaw um, you know a tremendous one of the best offensive coordinators in football he's so good but for some reason he and both tom seem to occasionally want to roll back to that uh line of back out of the backfield and throw him a fade um don't love that play um and uh, this is different than that though and i should mention that but that's like the smallest detail in a, in a 26-point game that you could go for. But um, this is different. Glad they hit on it. That worked. Now we're at the 26-point kind of mark here. And that final touchdown ends up being a decent amount of running. And then they end that thing with a Sony Michelle 14-yard touchdown run. And again, on that, you can see his power. You can see his ability to break tackles. You can see his ability to stop, start, let the block set, and then go. All good stuff. Professional level running. Good, glad you have them. Now, now that we're kind of out of the the offense thing, I think that's that's the really important part here to understand is that as rugged as the first half was, they came out. There were let's see, we'll count them. Touchdown drive to start the half. That's the deferral. You get the first drive. You go well there. You get them to punt. You score a touchdown on the next one. That's great. They make them punt again. Then you punt once for the first time in the second half. You make them punt again, and then you get a touchdown. So here's what it is. Three of your first four drives in the second half are for touchdowns. That's good. That's what you want. Great stuff there. And then they punt twice out the end of the game, and really at that point they're just killing clock and trying to help the underbetters. We love you for that. Thank you. So I think overall the second half of the adjustments they made, the refocus in the running game, the production they found there, uh, you know, sort of finding Izzo, slipping out of the formation, saying, hey, you know what, I, we can go look back to those tight ends a little bit. I think they're falling asleep on them. Um, even with some good, you know, from the takeaway stuff with Josh Gordon, nah, you didn't get a touchdown. Nah, you didn't get like 10 catches, but there were some explosive plays. There was a couple missed opportunities with him, but I think overall this was a giant step forward, a good day of overall work with Josh. And I'd be remiss not to mention it because you guys know how much of a fan I am, but the, uh, the Phil, well, fans are on word, but an advocate, let's say advocate. Uh, Phil Thorsett went out with a hamstring injury and it sounded like it was relatively serious. I don't like to speculate on degrees of pulls and whether we're not talking tears and all those kind of things, but it was a, it was pulled and immediately the news came out in game that it's end game, you know, out of game, right? He's pulled. So he's not returning. So it was first he's out questionable to return. And then when you get the not questionable for much longer, it's immediately ruled out. That tells you it's a relatively serious one, at least for the today's game. So he hopefully popped back quick from that because I think the one thing that did is it, it, it changes, it puts Gunnar Shesky on the field quite a bit. It puts, uh, uh, actually I need to, to quick glance over here. Do find my box score. Cause I'm not sure. I don't recall, very much action for Jacoby Myers. This is one reception for six yards on two targets. Okay. So he had a pretty mild day. Um, Jakob Johnson had the one catch for five when he was targeted another time and it didn't work. So Jules has the big day, eight for 110. Josh has five for 59, a big day for him. Um, um, A big number two kind of day. 
uh, James at six for 46, and then it falls off pretty dramatically there. Sony does get the three balls out of the backfield, or three balls, period, and some were, some were extended as actual wide receivers, so that's a nice little wrinkle. But the, the fourth receiver, excuse me, the third receiver uh, is way down the list, and that's Jacoby. So uh, it was a really quiet day for Jacoby, but now you roll it forward. Let's just say hypothetically that Phillip's going to miss a little time with a hammy. Jacoby's going to get different role reps, and uh, maybe we'll see him get back more involved. But they'll have to make that choice. You'll have to make the choice, are we going to run three-receiver stuff, or are we now a two-tight end offense? Do you feel good with Izzo and Watson on the field, and you're only running two guys? So the third doesn't come in play as much, and really your third receiver is your back motion and out. Either James or, or Sony or maybe Rex if he when he gets back from the foot. So, um, you know, there'll be some decisions to make. So I don't think it's a, an out-and-out panic that uh, – you know, shoot, Phillips down. You still have a really solid three, albeit the third is a young guy. Um, but, you know, it might be a really important week to have the bridge. Um, maybe through a, pulling a guy up from practice squad. I don't know. I, I don't have in front of me to know what their uh, receiver situation is for young people if we're just talking about filling space. Or maybe it's yeah, tempting to throw gun or a few footballs. Uh, we'll see how that goes. But the offense is still obviously very strong. With Julian, with Josh, with James, with Sony. Those are your top four. Those are a damn good top four to have. Uh, if you start, you get in the outlet balls to the tight ends occasionally, you add in Ben Watson, who can give you maybe even a few more of those than either is a little cost can. And all of a sudden, you don't really have an issue with needing to pull a receiver up, other than you're a little exposed now for an in-game injury that would put, say, Jacoby goes down or something like that. So depth at the receiver issue is now going to become a legitimate talking point for the week. Does this swing, does does Phillips Dorsett, does, does Phillips Dorsett's hamstring swing the conversation to a Diggs thing or an Emmanuel Sanders thing or all this sort of hot takey, you know, uh, rumor stuff that I generally hate? I would think that would be an overreaction. I think you're still looking to bridge yourself to Nikhil Harry's return, make it to there, not do some massive sweeping, uh, you know, cap killing kind of move at this point. There's just no reason to do it. You want to, you want by 26 points. You're about to play a, a collection of teams here in the coming weeks uh, that really, in my view, aren't going to make it necessary to do anything that puts you out over your skis. Uh, you, there are no issues. You got the Giants, you got the Jets, you got the Browns, and uh, I think that's three games in a row that are very winnable with the personnel you have. Maybe you're not putting up 38 or 40. Maybe you're looking at high 20s and low 30s games again, uh, and that's okay. I, I don't think those are reasons for change, especially obviously, folks. With this is coming up on a short week with the Giants here on a Thursday, so I think that makes it even less likely for some trans transaction or someone to help you quickly. Hopefully, that just means they gave Ben a little extra time to work his way up till that first performance and maybe he will be targeted a few times and maybe you'll get a little extra offense that way uh but this is still a pretty well-rounded offense still with a lot of room to grow uh, but a lot of positive signs here going on the road and scoring 33 so let's let's wrap this bow uh put a little bow on this thing and talk some defense it would have been so much easier to just you know just to blow the defense for for 40 minutes i talked pretty heavy offensive series here for the first part because i i get that general sense again it's social media so maybe it's not the best barometer but i get the general sense that the worry part's gonna get gonna get more air the adulation parts which is this defense won't get as much air uh but they deserve some shine. So we'll give them at least 10 minutes of shine here. One thing I think that is absolutely terrific, if I would love for you to sort of take away from this podcast that that if you're asked at the water cooler, what are some of the things that the Patriots are doing really well that are making this defense so good? 
so effective right now. And you can say they're depth, but and we've been saying that. I'm 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 one of those people that keep saying it. They're depth, they're depth, they're depth. Okay, well the depth just tells me that they got a lot of humans. What are those humans doing? What are the things that the depth is really achieving? And I think one of the really, really good things that has come that's unique and different from this year's team, uh, from previous seasons, even from previous seasons, really good defenses, is they're much more willing to be more aggressive. And that's a faith in the personnel. And that's a faith in the depth of the personnel as well. And what I mean by that is there's a lot more not blitzing because that's six plus type stuff or overwhelming uh, uh, protection, but the fifth man in. The fifth man in, uh, whether it's a hug rush where it's one of these off the ball linebackers like Jamie or Dante Hightower or even Kyle occasionally, Van Noy, uh, that's, that stuff, he can provide the fifth. Uh, but it, you're really counting on the fourth for being disruptive, and the fifth guy is a kind of add-in. But you've seen this situation over and over and over this season through five games where the quarterback kind of looks and sees and feels the rush from one portion of the pocket, retreats and turns his attention to another part, and then there comes that second wave. That's happened over and over and over again. And oftentimes that second wave is that fifth guy that I was just referring to, the guy that's the hug rusher, the off-the-ball linebacker, or the linebacker that's pressing in. So you, there'll be previous seasons where you say, oh, why didn't uh, well, why didn't they just do that then? Why weren't they always bringing five? It's because of the exposure on the back. When you remove that person, you lose someone that you would like to be using to double. And one of the things that has set up nicely for the Patriots over these first five weeks, there really hasn't been some offensive player that needed to be doubled. They they match up really, really well. Paul Richardson, good pro, not a great player, but a good solid player, but not someone that's going to warrant the double. There's no Jordan Reed this game, so it's not like he had the, you know he's had the concussion stuff. It's not like there's a second tight end that needs you know a rat player giving him attention or the safety plus a linebacker or you know there's just not a second set of eyes. I think over the course of this offense, uh, I'm blanking on the dude's name. Let me say it correctly before I before I get off it. McLaren, yeah, McLaren, the Ohio State kid, the young guy that's been blown up. He had three for 51, had a nice play early, but ends up on seven targets. So he ends up, the inefficiency comes later as they settle in and kind of figure out how they're going to play this guy. And again, good player, occasionally got, you know, earned coverage from Gilmore, just basically how things shook out. But that's going to be a mismatch. That's not going to be one where you feel like you need an extra defender. And if you start going down the list from game to game to game and you feel good enough about Jonathan Jones, you feel great about Jonathan Jones, you feel good about J.C. Jackson, you feel good about Jason McCourty, you feel like all these guys can handle their one-on-one. And even if they give up a catch, it's going to be a catch right there for eight yards and tackle. It's going to be a catch right there for maybe 12 if they get a big one. That's a big one in their world. Uh, but because the ball's coming out quick with pressure, we're not talking about deep downfield stuff, and we're talking about relatively quick tackling. So you feel okay sending that fifth guy because it's not as if the absence of the fifth is going to create some sort of massive mismatch situation with a player who you really, really, really don't want out in space getting the ball. Um, the coverage has just been tight enough to where that is not a consideration. So then we're talking about not just that there are five humans, but that the five humans are actually really good at what they do. Uh, Kyle Vannoy wins a lot, wins a really high percentage in his one-on-one blocks against tackles, tight ends, uh, backs out on the edge, things like that. Michael Bennett is disruptive as ever. He's not getting the sack numbers, Mike, but he is helping. He's the gamer. He's in there setting up the games, taking up blocks. Uh, Danny Shelton playing a really high level. Dietrich Wise got second half 
half snaps in this game. And I, I really liked some of the pass rush stuff I saw to him. Adam Butler, he is a really good gaming guy. And that phrase, gaming, I, mean, I know I've probably said it 10 times now in this pod. I should probably explain what I mean. But games are times where I'm in a lane, you're in a lane, and we're going to switch lanes. That, think of it that way. Games where games can be two-man games where I go where I go in, you go out, that kind of thing. Or um, you know we're going to make an X stunt. Cross my face, I cross yours, that kind of thing. Uh, we'll just switch lanes between the guard and tackle. Who's going to pick us up? And there's a number of different ways to do this. It can be done with a pick. It can be done with sort of a we both advance up the field. Uh, you swing around behind me after a few strides, or I swing around out to the outside around you for a few strides, all those kind of things. It's too technical for, for podcast stuff, but just understand this. It doesn't always have to be done with two. When you get good, you do it with three. In other words, two guys are heading up in one thing, and then they wrap around one, or vice versa. Two guys are one in one direction, and the one wraps all the way around them. So it, what that does is creates confusion in the offensive line. You get guards stepping on toes, you know, cross or, you know, selling out, turning their shoulders, opening the gate, all that kind of thing. And watching a rusher go up and underneath them. This is happening over and over and over again. The coordination between three to one side, two to the other, the hug rushing guy kind of hiding himself and finding the quarterback really quickly. And the quarterback, you know, popping up out of his reads and just Poof, there's a guy right in my lap. So we're seeing that over and over and over again. It's just things are clicking. So the personnel is doing a great job. Uh, the ability, I'm saying that the rush personnel from their individual rushes, from Chase Winovich is really active, Butler, all the guys I mentioned. Uh, but then beyond, and it was great to have Hightower back too because you can see how good he is as a hug rusher. He, once things break and he's in space, he, woof, he he flies into the pocket really well and just sort of swallows the quarterback and doesn't give him time to see some of the things that were actually available behind him. But when you realize that there's so much faith in what's going on behind you that you can now afford to use that fifth and not need him, that is an incredible luxury. Now, you're going to get into some games here, are the Patriots. Let's look down that list. If we want to just sort of talk hypotheticals of where you might actually have a guy that may need doubling or where you might have a game where you're going to want to play two safeties as opposed to just a single middle-of-the-field guy. Is it the Jets game? No. You know, it's not the Giants game. Shepard will be a nice matchup, good player. Golden Tate's back, played for the first time today. But I think those are all guys that are going to feel comfortable matching. This would be the first time with uh, uh, with the tight end. What is his name? It's not Ebron. Why am I blowing it? Uh, da, 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 Evan Ingram. Uh, he, he That's probably the highest level tight end I think that we've had the the Patriots will have had on their schedule. Herndon uh, will be back for the Jets, I believe, when they play them again. So that's maybe a guy that could require a doubling or at least will be a more stressful single matchup. Patrick Chung didn't play today. He uh, presumably play in either Thursday's game or down the road with that Jets game. Obviously, when you get to the Browns, you start talking about Jarvis Landry. Going to be a cool matchup between him and Jonathan Jones. I think Jonathan, I think he marks him well. I don't think he does much against him. But OBJ is a guy that you probably don't leave soloed much. And if you do, him and Gilmore going at it is going to be poetry. That will be awesome. Now, we get further down the line, three games from this, and you start talking Ravens games, and all the coverages and protections and things have to change. Not protections, but the, the stuff across from you is going to be so markedly different because of the running quarterback and the, the read option stuff and the zone read stuff. And, uh, you know, the, the pop passes, it's just different. So the pressure packages aren't going to be the same and that kind of thing because the quarterback's so different. But my major idea here is you're about to see a stretch of three games that should look relatively similar. I guess Cleveland, the third one there, is the first time you'll see, okay, there's a different player that may have to require some additional coverage 
considerations from the safety level aiding a corner or something like that. But because you really haven't had to deal with that through through five weeks, you, you cleared the hurdle with Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, that wasn't that. And then nothing with the Dolphins, nothing with the Jets, nothing with the Bills that way, nothing today with the Redskins. The Giants won't be that issue. The Jets, again, no. And Cleveland, the first round of that, um, I think they just cruise along and continue to be this uber disruptive because there's not any mismatches for them. They built good enough personnel to handle just about everything that's out there. Uh, And there are only going to be a handful of occasions throughout the season where that's not the case. And that's a pretty good position to be in if you're a play caller defensively. So anyhow, another big win here for the Patriots, 33-7. to There were moments of trepidation, but they righted the ship. They played dominating defense uh, aside from one sort of fuck up uh, play uh, on on uh, one. Actually, I never really sort of broke down what that was for you guys. Basically what it was, it was a d- deep reverse action pre-snap, kind of like jet motion, but bubbling. Uh, and then it's just a handoff to the slot back, almost looked like a winged T play. Uh, Kyle Vannoy went underneath the pullers. So uh, that I think Kyle definitely made the initial error. He tried to go underneath and behind a block. So the, the guys are pulling across the line to be out in lead in front of that slot back rush play. And Vannoy, I think, made a poor decision. You know, probably the one mistake he made on a day of otherwise brilliant play. But he went underneath the pullers. That, that risk wasn't worth it. It pops to the outside. But it's not like a touchdown risk. It's not like the touchdown's on him. That just accounts for, you know, the first 8 to 10 yards because then pursuit should get there. There still should be a, a guy out over the slot. He was there to tackle and sort of be the secondary player there, secondary force or whatever you want to call it. Uh, but it was shit tackling. So that's your one big bruise on the day. That's your black eye. Uh, ugly play, not played correctly initially, and then some bizarre, you know, let up kind of tackling thing. And I, I've been in situations like that, even more dating back to college and high school where the pack starts to come towards – a player and you feel like the one guy's got him and you don't want to dive over his back and get in the way uh, and knock him off it potentially you start to stand get out of your stride and then oh shit he got away and then you've you've you know and then oh my gosh he's a fast guy too and now you've let up that one stride you needed to close that distance and then a bunch of guys end up scrambling looking scrambling looking kind of stupid uh, so it was it was one ugly play but uh, the brilliance in this group is just that they can have something like that that's kind of boneheaded and uh, completely wipe it from memory generally with so many other disruptive out of this world kind of plays later sacks left and right fumble recoveries Jonathan Jones punch out was so sick uh, you know come up on a play and just hit it that perfectly and get a turnover not that that not that bread points but he, he gave them that opportunity. Uh, you know, just another day, Jason McCourty makes the interception this week just to try to catch up to his brother a little bit, but, uh, he sacks by Danny Shelton. I mean, I could go on and on here. Just everyone contributing the good stuff. And when the bad play happens and they sometimes do, they often do, uh, they rallied really quickly out of that situation. So it's a very mentally tough group, a very talented, tough, talented group. And there, uh, I heard a little thing here from, uh, Doug Kide, my, uh, other partner there at Nesson had tweeted out that Dante Hightower is calling the linebacker group the boogeyman. Boogeyman. I think I like it. I think I like it a lot. I think that's worth a t-shirt. I think that's kind of, uh, I think it's uh, apropos as well because I think this is, uh, it's kind of getting to be that way. It's a little spooky if you're back there. You just never know where they're coming from. They're jumping out from closets. They're jumping out from behind Lord knows what. They're hiding behind sort of the pillars of these giant men's of Lawrence Guy and and Danny Shelton, and out pops Hightower from some sort of mix-up. 
uh, it's pretty it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty good because where are they coming from next? And they hop out from a an unexpected place. Next, you know, Jamie Collins has got you down. I mean, just I think that I think that's actually pretty fitting. Uh, it would be scary to go against this group right now if your quarterback. This next sort of uh, stretch of guys, Daniel Jones, mobile guy. We'll get into that later in this week's pod. Uh, he hasn't seen anything like this yet. Uh, Darnold's going to finally come back from being sick and. This is the first thing he's going to see. Whew. Good luck. And, you know, Baker Mayfield, for all the offseason accolades and photo shoots and things like that, he hasn't seen anything like this either. So uh, there's some uh, – the boogeymen are going to have a little run of it here. So I think this continues to roll. They're good, independent of who they're playing against. Not just good, but great. This is some unprecedented stuff we're seeing. That was the Razor Show. I'm Matt Chatham. Instant analysis post-game. Haven't watched the, the tape fully, so keep an eye out there on my uh, Twitter feed at Chatham58. I'll pop videos out throughout the week with some quick analysis on this stuff once the stuff comes through sort of the coach's copy. that usually pops up by Tuesday. But in the interim, you've got this to roll through. Uh, obviously something that you can uh, smile heavily at the water cooler on Monday morning. They got it done on the road in the NFL by a big margin. That's good. Bye-bye.